Welcome back to the Admissions Uncovered podcast, a college admissions podcast for the students, by the students. As usual, my name is Michael Gao, but not like usual, Dominic and Nee are not with us today because they're taking a much needed break after Ivy Day. They'll have some interesting results to share when we come back next week, how Ivy Day went for them and how they're thinking through their college admissions decisions. Instead, this week we have a very special episode where I talk with our friend Steve Schwartz. He's a college admissions counselor over at the College Admissions Toolbox. It's a podcast that you can find on iTunes, but also on their website, collegeadmissionstoolbox.com. We had a great conversation about Columbia University. Because Steve is an alumni of Columbia College, we shared our experiences. We talked about how they were similar, how they're different, and also some interesting tidbits about how Columbia has affected him and in his career. Now, before we jump into that conversation, I'd just like to thank our sponsors for this week's episode, Freeze Crowd. Our friends over at Freeze Crowd have created an amazing social media platform built for anybody connected to college, anybody with a .edu email. That means you can sign up for Freeze Crowd. That means your friend can sign up for Freeze Crowd. That means your professor, your TA, that means alumni you connect with can sign up for Freeze Crowd. And that means that you have your own college community in one place. It's an amazing online platform that lets you share your experiences, learn about other people's experiences, and join the larger college community. So sign up at freezecrowd.com. All you need is your .edu email and you can sign up today. That's freezecrowd.com. Thanks so much for sponsoring the podcast, and thanks so much for creating an online secure platform that connects anybody with a .edu email. With that, let's get on with the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a special episode of College Admissions Toolbox in conjunction with Admissions Uncovered. This is a special Joint episode, A Meeting of the Minds, between myself, Steve Schwartz, and my good friend, Michael Gao. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks thanks for connecting, Mike. So I thought it would be cool for us to do this joint episode because we actually have quite a bit in common. We both have experience related to Columbia. I went there for undergrad, and you're currently there. That's right. I'm a a freshman there at Columbia right now. Oh, awesome. Wow, so you really just went through the admissions process a very short time ago. Yeah, very literally. Just got into Columbia, just got into college, and... uh... And I guess that's why I'm so interested in it. I have a lot of thoughts about college admissions now. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And Columbia in particular, I'm wondering what your first impressions are as as just getting into this. Uh, well, you know, I really love the school and, you know, the city is amazing too. Uh, I'm, I grew up in suburban Dallas, so New York City is a lot more interesting uh, than that. Um, and I try to get off campus at least once a week. I know a lot of students, you know, say, oh, I have a lot of work staying on the weekends, but I feel like since we're in New York city, it's what we should do. Um, but what did you think about Columbia? Oh man, I loved it. It was even better than I thought it would be, (laughs) to be honest. And I think Columbia is kind of a love it or hate it kind of thing, I think in part because of the core curriculum. There's if if you're in the Columbia College, then you're doing like a third of your classes are somewhat dictated by the core curriculum, and that means you're going to do a lot of reading, especially freshman year literature, humanities, great classic works of literature, and then of course sophomore sophomore year you have contemporary civilization with great works of philosophy, and that's a lot of reading, and it's not for oh, everybody. For sure, uh, I you know I, honestly I'm not too keen on literature humanities, uh, you know, and I think it also has to do with 
who your teacher is, who your classmates are, because it is a seminar-style class, and if the other students aren't that interesting or don't talk, then the seminar class doesn't really work. Uh, but I am really excited for contemporary civilization, because I think the philosophy angle to it, more macro political philosophy, is definitely something I'm more interested in than just you know the stories and literature humanities. Yeah, sure. It's, it's really interesting, though, I think, because it kind of gives everyone in the college this this common basis for relating to each other, right? Like you might be a pre-med major, someone else is pre-law, someone else is economics, but you're all still somewhat fluent in these great works of literature, like maybe crime and punishment, or maybe just the Bible, yeah. right? Or then getting into sophomore year, you've got a philosophy with Kant and Nietzsche and, and so on. And so it kind of creates this interesting thing where even if someone is not one of the 20 or so in your seminar class, you still have several hundred other people who are going through the exact same experience, whether it's enjoying it or whether it's just kind of being unhappy about doing all that reading. <laughs> we definitely complain about the reading all the time, all the time. Um, I'm actually majoring in economics. What did you graduate with? I majored in political science, which I, I think those are two of the most popular majors at the college, too. right? <laughs> most popular. Yeah, they majors. are. They are the two. I think econ's number one and poli sci is number two. <laughs> Sounds about right. That's so funny. But it, it's funny because you know, in poli sci, there's obviously a natural relation to these works, which is why I think I like them so much. Like philosophy, especially, there's a lot of its political philosophy, oh, sure. like how should government be structured. Sophomore year, you have Rousseau, you have Hobbes, you have John Locke, I believe, as well. So there's a lot going on related to government. But then in literature humanities could be, maybe be good for the English folks. Definitely. But then econ, of course, there's not that much of a connection except for maybe Adam Smith, right? <laughs> um, I, I'm Luckily, I'm also interested in politics. Maybe doing the – there's an econ poli sci uh, joint degree now. And so I'm, I'm maybe looking into that, which is why I think contemporary civilization appeals a bit more to me. Um, yeah, very cool. Maybe it'd be useful for folks who are considering Columbia if we talked about some of the other things involved in the core curriculum. Yeah. And then, of course, the other stuff going on. So Lidham, Literature, Humanities, and Contemporary Civilization are the two biggest ones that everyone is taking. Definitely. Then there's a few others that folks are taking as well. And I think things have actually changed a little bit since I was there. I know there's a, a science oh, class yeah. that was not required back when I was there. I didn't actually take this, but could you share yeah, on that? Um, so I don't want to make too big of a deal about this since this is really just like a one semester. It's a very easy class. Uh, it's called Frontiers of Science. And... Columbia's pitch on it is basically that in high school, in a lot of science classes, we're taught formulas, equations, we're taught to pump in numbers, spit out numbers, do the mechanics of experiments. And Columbia says that's not really the point of a science class. The point of a science class is to teach you the habits of mind of a scientist, things like calculating with units, estimation, just kind of the big macro level principles behind a lot of scientific inquiry. That's their pitch on it. Uh, as someone who just went through it last semester, I got to say, it's not as they say, because what they do is they split up the course into four sections. So we learn four different disciplines, but we only have three lectures per discipline. So three lectures for the brain, three lectures for astrophysics, three lectures for biodiversity, three lectures for climate change. And obviously that's not enough to get, you know, three lectures on astrophysics you're not going to know astrophysics. Um, and so even when they try talking about the habits of mind of a scientist, that, you know, sounds good in principle, but, you know, in reality, when you're talking about calculating with units and, you know, estimation, it's a lot of the things that you, you'd expect someone to have coming into the college and 
frankly, a lot of people do have it. And, and I think this isn't, I feel like I, I've shared these feelings with a lot of other students going through the class, which is that it's a little bit tedious, a little bit too simple, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I got, back when I was in at the college, there were, they were piloting this. And so I think only a third of students were doing it. The other two thirds of college students could kind of fulfill their science requirement with virtually right. anything. So I actually took what I thought would be the easiest science classes because science was not my thing. So I took biodiversity and I took psychology <laughs> and those were, at least with those, you can go a bit deeper. I feel like three lectures on each topic, you might as well just go on YouTube if exactly. and you can go far exactly. deeper, right? I mean, the lecturers are really engaging and everything, but you know, three lectures per topic doesn't get you much. Right, right. And then there's also this, the writing the class. The writing class, yeah. Um, yeah, where you're kind of workshopping your writing and you're evaluating different pieces of writing and then kind of reflecting on them. What, what's that like for you? It's interesting uh, in the sense that it's a lot more writing than I'm used to from high school, I guess, because, you know, you're spitting out a paper basically every three weeks. It's a very quick turnaround time for me. And I think one thing that my teacher at least does really well is that instead of just focusing on the mechanics of writing, you know, instead of just focusing on things like grammar and like make sure you have transition words and things like that, he actually does talk a lot about the material that we're writing about, which is, I think, what makes the class a bit more interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's very, very cool. I remember another thing I loved about Columbia when it comes comes to writing is that they actually had this writing uh, writing center you could go to. And I feel like a, a lot of students don't make, I, I got the sense that you you take advantage of this, but not enough students do. And I found it to be such a useful resource. Like whenever I had any paper, I would just bring <laughs> it to them and sit down. They would mark it all up for me and give me suggestions. And then as a result of that, I could turn in much better papers and my professor was none the wiser, but it was also totally Absolutely. above board. So it was really a cool bonus. Absolutely. It is, it is an amazing resource. And I definitely agree with you. Not a lot, not enough people know about it and use it, but it's also true that there's just too few writing consultants, you know, for budgetary reasons or you know, whatever reason. Um, and, and it's always packed in there. So it's difficult to get an appointment, but whenever I do get an appointment, I know my essays are better for it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's the sort of thing you really have to book far in advance. And like, obviously your pay people don't always do papers months in advance. Right. So it's kind of like, you have to just say, okay, like my deadline is Friday. So I'm going to book a, an appointment on like Monday or Tuesday, so I have some time to incorporate the the, uh, the writing center director actually told me that the openings open up about a week in advance. So he was like, eh, you know, maybe just stay up until midnight and when it opens, register. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very Columbia thing to recommend, I feel. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like you're just having to have to like set your alarm yeah. or something. <laughs> Remember to do it. Oh, that, that's so funny. That's so funny. Um, I know that at Columbia, there's always a lot of talk about, there's always controversies on campus. They're always talking always. about changing the core curriculum. They were certainly ha talking about that back when I was there. Is that still a big topic on campus, oh, I gather? Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm sure you've heard about the Julian von Abel kind of like racist person outside of Butler mm -hmm. Library screaming awful things to, to African-American students. And that really did spark a debate on campus about whether, you know, the readings we do uh, you know, in the core curriculum were tied to that or somehow caused that. Um, and I think it's an interesting debate. I'm not entirely sure what side I come down on it, uh, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Well, to be honest, you know, I'm not living it on campus. And so I can speak better to like what I've experienced in the past 
in terms of like controversies. I remember back when I was there, there was a lot of controversy over Middle Eastern Studies Department, oh, MILAC, yeah. about is it is about you know Israel versus Palestine and the Arab world and all that. And so there's always lots of can- controversies. I think that ultimately it, it's just part of what makes Columbia, Columbia. Even back in the, the 60s and 70s, their, their students took over the campus oh, back in 68. Sure. And they, they barricaded, you know, they all the gates. They, you know, they they went into the president's office. It was nuts. There's a, a great book on this called The Strawberry Statement, that was written written by a journalist back at that time who actually lived through the protests and was there on campus. And it's a fascinating read just to get a sense of Columbia's culture because I think that culture of protest and revolt and controversy and challenging bureaucracy. I think it's it stems from that, and of course, it continues all the way through to this day. I feel like Columbia is always in the news, especially here in New York. <laughs> you know, the local media, the the Post, the Times, the Daily News—they all love to pick it up and kind of make you know make headlines out of it. And I think that part of that is because you know, what happens on college campuses does does ultimately trickle down to like the wider culture, right? Because these are people who then go on to take positions in government, in journalism, and politics. I definitely see. I've seen a lot of my classmates go on to positions at places like the New yep. York Times, and so I think that. That controversy, it's certainly not for everybody, but you you can disengage from it. I think there's enough students on campus who don't really care and they're kind of doing their own thing. I think there's a small vocal minority who always want to challenge things and make issues out of that. And that's their place to do that. But I think that at the same time, if you don't want that, you can definitely find common cause with students who'd rather focus on their academics or focus on other things altogether. I think maybe the poli-sci students and the econ students are more into this, but then like the pre-meds, the science folks, the math folks, they're totally disengaged from this for the most part from what yeah, I see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the case for most schools. You know, I, I feel like when we talk about touring schools, choosing schools, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, you're fit for the school. And, and I get that type of board, but I also think that as someone who just went through this kind of like did the thought process of deciding between schools it's like all these schools have everything because they're just so big and i I think it's fair to say that columbia definitely has a bigger kind of activist bent being in new york city being kind of in you know the edge of harlem and gentrified morningside heights and you know the upper upper west and east side you know i i think it, it is the intersection of a lot of places where you might see a lot of controversy but again like all schools you don't have to do it if you don't want to of course i think i think also i mean students are young you know 18 to 22 right that's the point at which you want to change things people often who are politically engaged want to protest want to advocate for things and that's to be expected virtually anywhere and columbia i think it's a lot of headlines but again it's very easy to avoid that if yeah, you want absolutely. to I think what ends up ultimately being more relevant for students will be, of course, the location in the city. Lots of options, although I, I, if I think myself and a lot of other students tended not to leave campus very much. Oh yeah, people tend to stay in the Morningside Heights bubble. But if you want to, of course, you can go out downtown, and you can also go you know, do internships in Midtown if you want to as well, or even go as far as Brooklyn yeah. if you want. I mean, internships are a little bit harder. We, I don't know if they had it when you were there, but now Fridays are off, which is amazing. Altogether, Just, completely. You know, some people have classes, you know, discussion seminars, whatever, but most students have it completely off. Yeah, I usually didn't have Friday classes. I might have like a Spanish at nine a.m. on a Friday, which was not <laughs> no. fun. But for the most part, for the most part, Fridays were which is were very open. nice because then yeah. your weekend starts a little bit earlier on Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go out Thursday night, and then maybe if you have an internship Friday downtown, you can do that. Exactly. You, um, you know, I don't. I don't think I'll be doing internships during the school year, just because I know it get it's going to get busy and I don't know if I'll be able to juggle it with the internship, but if anybody is in New York city or, or is going to Columbia listening to this, 
please, please, please do get off campus. Challenge yourself to do it. I know it's, sometimes it's hard. You know, sometimes you have a lot to do, but, you know, you're in New York City uh, and I love going off campus. Um, so. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's definitely something to take advantage of. It is it is a unique opportunity. Think of the students virtually anywhere else in the country who don't have these opportunities. And you go somewhere, you say, I'm a Columbia undergrad. That will open doors. That right? name oh, on a resume sure. Does make it does make a difference, and so those opportunities are available to you, even though you do have to take maybe a, a half hour subway ride down Absolutely. to Midtown. It, it's worth it for sure, though. I think that. Let's see what else. Where was I going to go with this? Another another thing I was thinking about is that ultimately the what I think does set Columbia apart that students should be aware of is the core sure. curriculum, in con- which is why I led with that. In contrast to a school like Brown, that's completely open. Curriculum. open. And they're they're both Ivies. They're both Ivies. They're both they're they're both obviously open a lot of doors. But if requirements or reading are not your thing, then Columbia might not be the place yeah. for you. I, I will say that I do think Columbia's core gets a little bit overhyped. It's it's not the case that you don't get any choice over your classes, right? You know, so for me this first semester, I had to do literature, humanities and frontiers of science or university writing because frontiers of science and writing kind of flip depending on what semester you take it first in right but you have between four and five classes to choose from which means you have three classes to pick yourself uh so i i you know for people maybe thinking about columbia i wouldn't get too afraid that you're not going to be able to choose your classes because you definitely are and frankly a lot of schools Brown being one of the only exceptions I know of, have general education requirements, distributional requirements. So at any school you're going to, you're going to have certain requirements you have to fill. That is absolutely correct. I could not agree more. Yeah. So I focus on this because some people walk in on day one. I remember my, my brother's also a Columbia alum, actually. And so he was doing some alum interviews and found that like there were people walking into the interview who had no idea what the core curriculum Ooh, that's was. That's not good. And you, that's you, not a good look. That's, that did not make a good impression, of course. <laughs> and so- so the, I think that you walk in, you don't want to be surprised by that. You want to be aware of it. But yeah, I agree. Although overall, I think the credits related to the core curriculum comp- comprise maybe a third of your classes overall, you do Absolutely. have freedom. Some classes are required no matter what, like we discussed, but then there are more distributional requirements. Like I said, for science, I was able to choose biodiversity and psychology because I thought those would play more to my strengths. And then, of course, there's major cultures requirements where you have a lot of freedom. You can choose if you care, if you want to do Latin America, you can do that. If you want to do Middle East, you can do Middle East. If you want to do East Asia, you can do East Asia. And so there's a lot of different options there. You can pick what you want. You can also look up professor reviews. So you do have quite a bit of freedom there. And then of course, there's art and music as well. But again, I do, I do think they are a fairly small percentage and you end up having plenty of space oh, for absolutely. electives. And, you know, even with, so for example, there's also a language requirement. You get to choose the language. So, you know, there, there is a structure yeah. that you have to follow, which I think is the case at most schools, but you get so much flexibility within that structure. It's very nice. Yeah. But then there's also the swimming, swimming requirement, swimming right? Requirement. <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> oh my God. It's crazy. Uh, the story, I think, why C's doesn't have to do it always cracks me up. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, you know, you know, I think 1980s or something, uh, a Columbia College kid got mad and asked why C's kids didn't have to do the swimming test. And the C's kids responded, because if we ever have to cross the Hudson, it's because we can build a boat to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I guess is probably true, hopefully. 
Yeah, I would hope so. By the end of four years at Columbia with engineering, you could at least build something that a life raft <laughs> get you across, right? Um, I guess that the, the one thing that brings to mind, you know, the different schools Columbia College sees is what do you think about the relationship between Columbia and Barnard? Because that's another one of those things that always uh, gets heated up on campus. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's always a little bit of like a friendly tension or rivalry between the schools. And it's funny. I, I think ultimately, though, it's it's like funny to joke about it sometimes, but I think it's actually kind of cool because you then have this um, you have this sister school right across the street that has a ton of other stuff going on, yeah. too. Like Columbia kids can take classes there and vice versa. Their extracurriculars are also open to Columbia students as well. And so it's kind of like expanding your world which I think is, is pretty cool. And Columbia has many other things going on too. There's also JTS. There's the Jewish Theological Seminary. There's the Teachers College. And of course, if you're in the college, there are there's also C's as well. And so it creates this whole network of options where it's beyond just Columbia College itself, if that's what you're going for. And then you even have the chance to take grad level yeah. classes at, for example, the School of International and Public Affairs. CEPA. Absolutely. And then I think other grad schools as well, you do have some options there. And so I think that it's, I think it's nice. I think it only benefits everyone to have that crossover and that cross pollination and the opportunity to expand beyond just the reaches of the campus. Although I think the campus offers so much that you don't even need to go beyond if you don't want to. The, the new library on Barnard's campus is very nice though, the Milstein library. So um, I definitely go there quite a bit. Um, the other thing that I hear a lot sometimes from Columbia college sees kids is that oh the acceptance rate at barnard is so high which means they got to sneak their way into an ivy league education and to me it, it, it just feels so like irrelevant you know good for them they're going to go to a school yeah, totally. they're going to have the ivy league name on their diploma that's awesome i mean i don't think there's a trade-off i don't think like more barnard kids dilutes the influence of columbia's name or anything like that uh, yeah so I, I think when people say that i think they're a little they're either joking or they're taking things a little bit too seriously agreed and that's why i didn't even i didn't even go there it's been so long but i definitely remember <laughs> making a lot of those immature jokes back in the day and it's like but ultimately come on like really it's not taking anything away from you columbia is an ivy league Barnard is not, is not hurting Columbia's ranking. Their admissions are calculated separately. And so I think it's not a big deal. I mean, just be happy that you have these other options available to you. And those students, I mean, they definitely have, I think Barnard definitely has a certain type of student yeah. they want to admit. And it does tend to be students who can bring something unique to the Columbia experience. If you have Barnard students in your class, they might have a different take on things. They might have different contributions to make. Sure. And I think it's it's ultimately helpful to everyone to have that viewpoint yeah, diversity. absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, no, I think it's really cool. It's just a hop, skip, and a jump away. It's right across the street. You can walk Literally. There. You just walk across the street, yeah. go get to the Starbucks, walk a little bit north, and then you're at Barnard's campus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I remember I did take some classes at SEPA. I did take classes related to Teachers College, and they definitely have their own unique flavor as well that I thought was really cool. Like when I was at SEPA, I felt like I was going to be meeting diplomats, you know, like because they're, they're coming there and speaking yeah. all the time. And that was super cool. And I think... If you're going to a college where that's not affiliated with a university, you do miss yeah. out on that. There are benefits too, but I think it's good to consider if you want to go into government, you want to do things at the UN or in like this nation's capital, I think that having that exposure to SEPA events will definitely Yeah, help. and another thing to keep in mind, um, 
Columbia has this for sure, but several other universities too, UChicago comes to mind, um, are things like five-year joint programs where you start your master's degree your senior year, kind of do half-half, and then the fifth year you finish up your master's. So you can graduate with both a bachelor's degree and a master's in you know international affairs or public policy, your MPA. Um, there's even like that type of submatriculation type program with the law school. So a six year JD program, I think it is. So yeah, it's the three, three and three. three yeah. Three and three. Uh, so there's yeah, so yeah. many opportunities at one of these big schools. Uh, you know, it is the case that, you know, you're going to have big lectures because that's just how things have to work at a big school. But there are also so many opportunities that you wouldn't get at a liberal arts school that, you know, doesn't have grad programs, for instance. Yeah, agreed. And I think the, the joint programs are super cool. If you want to have your grad grad school guaranteed, there are programs that can allow you to do that. And of course, if you love Columbia so much, you Stay don't want to leave. That's a, that's a great, that's a, that's a, that's a great <laughs> option. Definitely. I guess one thing I wonder is, you know, as an alumni, um, a few years out from Columbia, how do you think the core has impacted you? Do you, has it, you know, has it impacted the direction of your career? You know, how you, you know, act on a day-to-day basis, or is it just something you do at school? That's always a great question. We always used to joke that this stuff is good for nothing but yeah, cocktail yeah. parties, right? And just to, to sound intelligent, like, oh, I've read Kant, I've read Rousseau, like, Dostoyevsky and all that. Really and bad. I think, that, right, right, right. And I think that it does really give you a, a level of cultural fluency. I mean, so many of these works have informed our culture. And they contain certain timeless messages and certain timeless stories that I think are, they may not be actively relevant in your everyday life and career, but I think that the, I do think that honestly, the concepts that they raise and the fact that these works of literature are and philosophy are referenced in our culture, even in popular culture, I think is very useful just in making you a, well, a well-rounded person. And I think that a strictly practical education that only focused on like a, like a right, trade right. school. And that would be the flip side of that, right? Where it's only you only study what's directly relevant. I think that would lead you to miss out on something, and it might be practical in the short term. But over the long term, I think that having exposure to these works fairly early in life, when you're just you know 18, 20 years old, I think does have an enormous degree of of usefulness because it will carry forward through the rest of your career. And listen, you know, when you're looking to get a job, you're looking to network, being able to talk about things beyond the directly relevant right. day to day. I think is useful if you want to make a connection with someone, especially if it's a fellow, fellow yeah. Columbia alum. Like I said, beyond just the 20 folks in your seminar, you have this shared common ground with every alum as well. So let's say you're interviewing in front of a Columbia alum. You can both joke about the core curriculum. You can joke about the books and stuff, and you have that common shared interest yeah, already. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and you know, when there, there's something called Odyssey Mentoring Nights now at Columbia, where you know undergraduates can meet with alumni of the college and sees. And that's a great way to start the conversation is, what did you think about the core? Did you take CC, lit home, that type of thing? Um, so absolutely, I think it's a great way to connect with alumni as well. And I guess to go a little bit big picture and to you know further defend the core in liberal arts education, I think there is something to be said that education isn't just meant for you know, training you to be a banker or to be some type of executive or something like that. It's also meant to train you to be a citizen 
in a democracy. And there's only so much that reading stock graphs will get you to be a well-rounded citizen. You have to do more. You have to think about the world in a bigger context other than in just your one little niche area. So, you know, I think it's a difference of opinion on what education ought to be. But to me, it really is something bigger than just, you know, let's make sure you have a job after campus. Agreed. And I also think that there's something to be said for challenging students. So not just getting to choose whatever you want, choosing your own adventure, because you might play only to your strengths and might not grow as much as a result. If you put yourself in these challenging situations, and also that could potentially open up new doors, that, that could change the entire course of your career. I mean, how many people enter on day one listing undecided as their major or how many people change their majors two, three, four times, right? You don't always know what you're going to want to do freshman year when you're 17, 18 years old. And maybe exposure to art hum or art humanities or music humanities or major cultures or the writing or the core curriculum, that could that could change where you yeah. want to go. I mean, for me, because there is some flexibility uh, in this semester because I gotten some of the core requirements out of the way is that I was able to take a, a Java class and I didn't do any computer science before. I know like a little bit of HTML. And when I tell computer programmers that, they're like, that's that's not real programming, <laughs> right? <laughs> so taking the Java class really was is really interesting to me. It's challenging because I haven't taken a computer science class before, but I think it's interesting. And I don't know, I because I do have a few more class slots, I might be taking more computer science classes. And that's the beauty of going to a school that has a lot of different things um, that, and a school that isn't siloed off, right? So for a lot of public universities, UT, for example, I'm from Texas, that's my state school, you apply into a school, you apply into the business school, you apply into the nursing school, you apply, apply into the School of Natural Sciences, and you're kind of locked into that school, can't take classes out of it. And to me, that's not... it's just not attractive to me because going into college, I knew I wanted to try out a few different things before saying, I want to spend the rest of my life doing this one thing. Yeah, exactly. As we said, Columbia has so much opportunity for crossover into other domains, other colleges, other niches. And I think it really is enormously valuable. And like we said, the core is somewhat of a requirement, but you also have so much freedom in your schedule to, to take these Java classes. I took classes in a wide variety of areas and maybe going outside my comfort zone hurt my GPA yeah, a little yeah. bit, but I still I still did learn in the process. And I think that was really valuable. You do have the room in your schedule and it is possible to, if you want to load yourself up on classes a bit, you can even open up more room for additional electives. Like you, you can take five, six, seven classes a semester if you want to. You might need to talk to your dean to get the approval on that. But if you're willing to buckle down and focus, you can do that. I remember one semester I took 21 credits. And it was actually my... And I, my GPA actually went up surprisingly <laughs> because I was so focused. I knew I couldn't mess around. I couldn't goof off and spend too much time socializing because I, I just got super into study mode. And that, that actually was really useful to me. And I also did the flip side where I took only four classes and I socialized a lot more that semester, but there's benefits to both, right? Yeah. And you know, you have eight semesters there, so you can have one down semester and one super hyper-focused <laughs> semester as well. Right, right. And then I wanted to circle back to something you yeah. said earlier about the large intro classes. And I just wanted to clarify for some folks that although Columbia does have big lecture hall classes, you you will have classes with maybe one, 200 people if it's an intro 101, like prerequisite class from like the beginning of your major. But as you move on, they'll get smaller and smaller. 
if you take like 2000 level, 3000 level and 4000 level, even if you go to the grad level, they'll be, they'll get much smaller very quickly. And you can always go to office hours. And I recommend that whether it's with your TA, your professor and the professors at Columbia were actually, I found very Absolutely. accessible. Yeah. Surprisingly and so. Again, like the right, yeah. Like the writing center, not enough students take advantage, right? Yeah, and, and so to jump off on that, I think it's very true. Like a lot of people talk badly about big, big lecture classes, but that's just kind of how learning is at some point. At some point, you just need to be sit down, have someone tell you the information, and then you go home and kind of like figure it out on your own. And if you have questions, go to things like office hours and recitations. Uh, I, I, went, I also went to uh, Swarthmore's... Um, uh, I think they're a fly-in program for interested high school seniors. And they're a very small liberal arts school and they don't have big lecture classrooms. They only have, I think, one lecture hall in the entire campus. But when I sat in into one of those econ seminar type things, it was still the teacher writing on the board, the equations and talking to the students, just like it is now. The difference is now there's just more people in the class. Um, so the only trade-off is that you you can't ask questions, but even that's sometimes not true. Like my econ professor is very open to us kind of like raising our hands during um, the the lecture. So I honestly think the distinction between big schools and small schools gets a little bit overplayed sometimes. I think it really is just about does the school have what you want it to, professor-wise, major-wise, research opportunity-wise, and if it does, I think it's fine. Yeah, I agree. I think that ultimately the size of the school will more not dictate the, the style of education quite so much as it will dictate the other things like extracurriculars, yeah. socializing. So if you're going to a, a tiny liberal arts college, things will things will kind of it'll, it'll feel like maybe a high school part two if you went to a smaller high school where everybody knows everybody, you see each other all the time versus a larger school where you could be somewhat anonymous on campus. And I felt like Columbia for me at least was the perfect yeah. balance because I would see this, I would run into somebody I knew every day walking across campus, even several people, but I would also run into many people who, who I did not know. I would see lots of unfamiliar faces as well. And so it was a good mix where I could be anonymous if I wanted to, you, you know, you could, you could put your hoodie up, hoodie up and kind of slink yeah. off to the library if you want to, but you can also be friendly and you run into people, you know, all the time. So you never really feel alone or isolated. And also I think the, the fact that 99% of students are living on campus also really helps to make it a good community feel where if you're living in one of the two major freshman dorms like John Jay or Carmen, you'll always have a community. You'll always have somebody to go to breakfast or lunch with. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's a cliche that a lot of admissions officers say, but I think it's very true that you can make a big school small, but you can't make a small school big. Makes sense to me. I've lived it. It's very true. So don't, don't worry too much about that distinction. I feel like. Yeah, definitely agreed. Anything else you think we should cover related to Columbia before we wrap this up? Um, no, I think I think that's uh, that's about it. I might, I mean, I might have more thoughts about Columbia after this semester, but we'll see. After my Java final, of course. <laughs> well, maybe we could do a follow up then. Awesome. All right. Well, Mike, this was a lot of fun. Um, for folks who are looking to connect with you, what's the best way to yeah, reach Yeah, so I do a college admissions podcast called Admissions Uncovered. I do it with two right now high school seniors, so they also just went through the process. Um, and so we're over at admissionsuncovered.com. We talk a lot about the mechanics of getting into college, but I think it's a 
you know, we added some relatable stories because we all literally just went through the process and it's a lot of fun. Uh, so we're at admissionsuncovered.com. Great. And um, that's really cool that you're kind of living the experience and doing it fresh. Um, for folks who are looking to connect with me, I'm at collegeadmissionstoolbox.com. I have the College Admissions Toolbox podcast available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, everywhere else, as I, as I know Admissions Uncovered is as well. And I have a mix of interviews as well as shorter bite-sized topical episodes, typically even only like two to five minutes covering a, a topic you know, super quickly for those who are pressed for time. Awesome. Well, it was awesome talking to you. Awesome talking to uh, Columbia alumni. Yeah, and great to connect with a current Columbia student. It brings me back. <laughs> All right. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for doing this. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you, Mike. We'll talk soon.